Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of A Darker Matter. I am joined today with a very special pal. I'm Haley. Nice to uh, finally be here. Yeah, welcome to the pod. And um, today we have the Chautauqua County Jane Doe to talk about, um, which is a super interesting case. It's a cold case of a unidentified person um, who was found deceased on the side of what is now I-86. And it's a case that I have found super interesting and I've been actually looking into this for like a couple of years. Um, and the woman's not believed to be from around here. And yeah, it's just something yeah. that you kind of hear about. I mean, it's been so many years since this happened. I feel like it just keeps getting plopped onto another detective's desk. Over yeah, years. it's been 38 years and she is still unidentified. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we have a story from a crime scene cleaner that I found on Reddit that I'll read that there is permission to use it. Um, but that is probably crazy, creepy, paranormal. Yeah, if you're really into just creepy, you know, just yeah. the creepiness, and you like also like that creepiness paired with like the other side, um, that's a really interesting one to think. The about. veil is thin. Yes, and the veil you'll, is thin. You'll know exactly what that <laughs> means later. All right, let's get into it. All right, so the Chautauqua County Jane Doe was found on December 6, 1983, in the town of Ellery, New York, which is located in Chautauqua County near Bemis Point and Jamestown, New York. She was discovered in a ditch along Route 17 on the Southern Tier Expressway, also known now as I-86, in the eastbound lane. Um... And she was found partially clad by utility company employees at approximately 8.30 in the morning. She had been shot once in the back, twice in the chest, and once inside the mouth. Um, it is believed that she might be from Canada or from some European country, um, and that she was discovered only hours after her death. Have you heard of this? I've heard over the past few years about the unidentified woman, um, like the I-86 unidentified woman, but, you know, I haven't really ever gone into the specifics of this. So I'm really interested to hear more about it. Yeah. So she's also known as like the I-86 Jane Doe too. Um, and so there are pictures, they have pictures of her autopsy of her face that you can like easily look up. And that's what they've been like sending to people to identify her with. Um, she's estimated to be between the ages of 30 and 37 years old. Um, she is a white female um, who is approximately 5 foot 4 inches and weighed about 128 pounds. Her hair color was brown with some gray. Her eye color was brown. Uh, she also had a wart above the left eye and a 15 millimeter raised mole behind the left ear. She also has a scar on her throat. Um, she was a shoe size 5'6 and an A plus blood type. And according to an anthropologist, she had at least one child 15 years prior to her death. She also had an IUD, which was made in Finland, Finland Belgium, or Holland, um, that were used in the Canadian healthcare system, but not distributed in the USA, which is a clue as to why people think that she might be from Canada. Yeah, that would make sense, especially because if it was found in like the 1980s, we probably didn't have like that rate of communication across the border for um, finding these kind of victims. So maybe that's one of the reasons probably of many that um, 
this poor woman has not been identified for so long. Yeah. And so for the European, she had some like dental bridge work done on the right side of her mouth, um, which appeared to be expensive European dental work and the gold was of European origin. Um, and so they have her fingerprints, which have never been found to match anyone. Um, and they do have a DNA sample available, but it has not been submitted. And this is according to NamUs. It's like the, I'm getting all this info. Um, okay. Yeah. So she was wearing a white V-neck camisole that has been detailed as inexpensive. I'm not really sure what that means. I guess it was like... Not, yeah, I have no idea. Are we like, talking about like the equivalent of Walmart inexpensive yeah. or like a Forever 21 buy inexpensive? This is, this is the 1980s, so I don't know. But um, that it was found to have been made in Capri, Italy. Hmm. Um, and at that time, it was not exportable, so you could not buy it in the... Like, you would have had to have bought it in Italy or someone would have had to bought it for you in Italy. Um, and she also had a green, brown, and red checked trench coat that was noted to be, quote, expensive. Um, that was reversible to an olive drab wool that was a size 40. Um, which is the size that's noted that's interesting is that that size is unavailable in Canada and the U.S. So the trench coat must have been European and possibly Italian as their sizes follow a different scale than European sizes. Um, she was also wearing a blue gray wool crew neck pullover, um, a handmade plaid wool skirt, um, and the skirt was in various shades of brown, brown and blue and red. Um, she was not wearing any jewelry and there was no evidence that she had been before she was killed. Uh, what is very interesting is that there is a handwritten note from the Blue Boy Motor Lodge in Vancouver, British Columbia. And there are a bunch of abbreviations and numbers on the note. Um, but the investigators on the case have not been able to figure out what they mean. So here, I'll show you the picture of it. Um, and you can kind of describe what you see. Yeah, so it's just like this, almost like a receipt kind of looking piece of paper. It says blue boy. Um, and it just has some random writing, some numbers. It looks like some initials. Um, yeah, it's just very different. Yeah, so this is probably, I think... I don't know what else like you know investigators have that they're not distributing out um but this is probably like one of the best leads that they have and it has like um like it's i think the first like again this is like not confirmed or denied or no one really knows what they mean but it almost looks like zip codes it has kind of some abbreviations like with some letters and then zip codes after it I don't know if you would like kind of agree oh, with that. Yeah, I kind of see that now. Kind of like, looks like zip codes. Or you like mileage maybe like on a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that too. But it says like it almost looks like Saskatchewan. It's like S A S K R or P and then an H and then two four two three three. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah. There was also some speculation that it might have been um, like the telephone exchange numbers too. Oh yeah, like back in the eighties, like that might be it too. Because like especially like down like in the second and third row, it looks kind of more like, um, like well at least the letter part of it kind of looks like yeah, I almost mean, like initials. It could be mileage. It could be mile markers. It could be zip codes. It could be telephone numbers. There is also a thought that like she it was like 
I don't know, this has kind of been like very, very out there, but that there's spy codes and that she was a spy. Hmm. Yeah. That's again, also really interesting. Right. And so I don't know, it's just really terrible what kind of happened to her, you know, and Mm -hmm. that she says that she has a child and yeah, where's, where's the child? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. It's just kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. Especially since it seems like um, she's really not, like, from around here. Like, she was just kind of left there. But um, it said that she was, like, not dumped um, in another source that she was actually, like, shot and killed there. Really? Like, she wasn't, like, a dump. Like, she was, like, killed in that location and left in that location. That's another interesting thing. I don't know. I just always had, like, the idea that it was probably, like, dropped off by some trucker kind of going through. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a really interesting place to, yeah, shoot and kill. Yeah, I know. So if you would like to find out some more information and research for yourself, this is known as the Chautauqua County Jane Doe case, also known as the I-86 Jane Doe case. And if you have any information it is to contact the Chautauqua County Coroner's Office or the Chautauqua County Sheriff's Office. Um, and their phone number for the Sheriff's Office is 716-753-4231. Okay, so this is from the Paranormal subreddit, and it's entitled, My Experiences as a Crime Scene Cleaner. Okay, so... To start out, you need a little backstory to show how I got into this situation. When I got out of high school around 2003, finding a job was difficult, so I took whatever horrible jobs I could get by. When I found a job cleaning fire and water damage full-time, I was excited to have a steady income and start saving, but this quickly turned into a nightmare that I had to endure for almost two years. The company I work for put me on my first job, which was a water damage claim where a basement flooded with sewage. So after a few days of work, we finished and it was on to the next job. My boss then called me into his office the next morning and told me about a special crew that he was setting up and asked if I could be the crew leader supervising three other guys that were just hired. I found this strange as I had only been working there a total of around three days, but figured my work ethic was already paying off and I would get a raise. I only made $10 an hour to start. Not only did I get the raise, but I also got no training in the new position other than a work van with cleaning material and the phone numbers for the three new guys who were hired to do the fire water damage cleanup. The boss told me what tools were best to use and what cleaning products to use to sanitize along with where everything was located in the van with hazmat suits and respirators, but he was vague about what kind of things I would clean up. He just said the situations were always different and I would get detailed instructions on each job. He called my position CSC crew leader. The boss told me that I would never have to see the deceased as the coroner would have the remains gone by the time my crew got there and to use my logic to determine what needed to be removed from the homes and what could be cleaned. What do you think so far? I can already just smell some of the houses that this poor girl had to go into. I don't know if it's a girl or a guy. It doesn't say, but okay. 
So the first job I had in my new position, which the boss told me about when I got to the office, was cleaning up the remains of an elderly man or woman who died in their house and had been laying in the chair. When we arrived, the coroner had me come inside to show me a few things that were considered hazardous material and needed to be removed due to the risk of disease. I guess my boss knew a few people from the county coroner's office and much of the work came from their recommendations. Not only was the deceased still in the house, but was fully visible to me and the other guy and you could smell the rot as the, through the masks as the house had no AC and this was mid-June. The coroner was backed up and waiting on additional people to show up to load the body. Um, and he calls it, he goes on to call it the body because he couldn't tell if it was male or female because of like how it was like decomposed. Oh my goodness, that smell. I can just almost... <laughs> Right. Okay, so the three other the other three guys I worked with handled it well, but two got sick from the smell and had to go outside to puke. We all waited outside after the coroner showed us the chair, the fluids that leaked into the carpet, and the basement where the fluids went through the subfloor and puddled on some boxes in the basement. The coroner's support arrived and took the deceased out, and me and the crew started working. After about five minutes, weird things started to happen, the first of which was when I began to disassemble the chair. I had removed the back of the chair and was putting it into the special hazmat bags that I was given. And the base started to rock when I was about 10 feet away, putting the bag with the back of the chair by the front door. Nobody else was in the same room as the other guys were in the basement dealing with moving boxes. I brushed it off and took apart the base of the chair as much as I could. And when I got it to the bag, I got a chill up my back and began feeling sick. I just figured it was a shock of what I was cleaning hitting me and pushed on, even though the chill was strange and it was and I was very hot in a full hazmat suit in June. Next was removing the carpet and assessing the floor to see if it would be able to be cleaned or if I had to remove a section of the floor. So I called the boss to ask them, and he told me just to pour the special cleaner on the area to soak into the floor, and it should be fine. So I got it out of the truck where he said it was and brought it inside. When I got inside, all three of the guys in the basement were scrambling to get out of the basement, tripping over each other, and all three ran outside. When I asked them what was up, all three said that there was someone in the cluttered basement and they assumed it was a homeless person or a junkie. Detroit had many issues with these kinds of things. I listened at one of the open windows to the basement. It's kind of the first thing we did when we started working. Open any window possible, prop the doors open so maybe someone got inside then or possibly before we got there and was hiding. After listening a few minutes and hearing nothing, me and another one of the workers went inside armed with a mag light, which I'm assuming is like a flashlight. I don't know. Yeah, it's like the big flashlights that cops used to carry back in the day. Yeah, and a piece of metal fence post and searched the basement. Nothing was down there but the footprints of the shoe covers we use. But when we started up the stairs, we heard a horrible hacking cough from somewhere in the basement. When we looked for it, there was nothing. But the corner of the basement had a bunch of dust stirred up like someone was moving things very recently that weirded us both out. We called the guys back in and they got back to the boxes, but all of them kept feeling like they were being touched while throwing away material from the boxes that got fluids on them. I went back upstairs. So wait, hold on. I went back to my upstairs job, but found the cleaner I had put next to the floorboards was gone. And I started getting frustrated as it was the only jug I had of this cleaner. And I clearly remembered it being set next to the area before the guys ran up the stairs and my attention was redirected. Like, I think at this point he's talking about, remember he said they had the yeah, he went and got the cleaner out of the truck, and then he heard the guys running, and he, like, put it next to the chair. Yeah. So now he's not able to find the cleaner. Okay. Okay. So I began to take the trash out, figuring I would find it eventually, or the basement guys took it for the floor. And I found it on its side, behind the bag that had the back of the chair. This is impossible. There were six other bags in front of this one near the front door, and this was a gallon bottle of cleaner. Again, I got a chill that this was 
but this one was brought on by what sounded like a whisper that I could not make out the words to. I cleaned the floorboards and moved out trash. The job was complete. That night, each member of my crew had a dream about an older man telling us that we were not welcome in his home, touching his belongings, and we needed to leave. In my dream, I was alone in his house. The old man cried and told me I was destroying his things and how he couldn't replace anything. He was trying to push me out of his house, but it was like I was ignoring him. Even when he would push me and scream at me, I, there was no reaction from me. He then threw my cleaner into the garbage pile I had made by the front door, exactly where I found it. Two of the three guys in the crew told me their dreams about the old man pushing them as they went through boxes of ruined pictures and other old stuff that needed to be thrown out due to risk of disease from his fluids. They also said it was like they had no control and were on autopilot. They said they were so sad but couldn't do anything. The thing that got me about the dreams of the two other guys was they both said the man was getting so upset he began violently coughing and that the man kept grabbing their arms when they couldn't touch boxes or throw things into the trash. Neither of the guys were in the house when me and the other guy heard the coughing from the basement. The guy that went into the basement with me said he had a dream, but all he remembered was waking up sad like he did something wrong. And he had a horrible coughing fit, which might just be a coincidence, but it connected in my mind as relating to the other dreams. We all talked about it and came to the conclusion that we were all having a reaction to the situation and nothing more than our brains coping with what we had to do. I'm very into psychology, so I rationalize the best I could do as we hope for better assignments the next day. The next few jobs were not so bad. Cleaning up blood at a home invasion, no casualty, but huge mess. And there were other few bloody crime scenes with casualties, but nothing notable happened. About two weeks into the job, we began to learn tricks of the trade, and we were split into two different groups that I was responsible to manage as crew leader, so I would have to go to different sites if the, two, uh, the other two guys had an issue or didn't know what to do. I thought I was getting used to the job as well as the other guys, as we had no experiences like the first job, but I was wrong. The next job that there was activity was a suicide of a man that was middle-aged. The coroner had already removed the body, but it was a mess. The guy had shot himself with what I think was a large caliber handgun or shotgun. The spray was everywhere in the basement in like a second, that was like a second living room. There were skull fragments lodged in the drywall, brain matter all over, and again, he was not found for a bit, so the smell was horrible. First step in cleaning was using our backpack vacuum cleaner to suck up all the biomaterial. The coroner told us that when we went in, he and his partner were extremely uneasy in the house, and it felt strange, and we immediately started getting a claustrophobic, suffocating feeling when we went into the basement as well. To make matters worse, the family of the man had came over and were crying upstairs, but the vacuum noise helped cancel that out. While I was cleaning, the power to the lights went out and went completely pitch black. This was strange because my vacuum was still powered. My crewmate started screaming at this point, so I turned off my vacuum and climbed up my ladder, climbed off my ladder. I thought maybe he touched a wire to the lights, but when my vacuum unit was turned off, he was still screaming, and I could hear things being knocked over. I started fumbling around for my flashlight on my tool belt and yelled for my friend, asking what was going on, but all I got back was panic screaming. Then I saw in the pitch black something darker that was moving in my direction, and I will admit I freaked out. I slipped trying to back up, still looking in my belt for the flashlight, and found it when my back hit the basement wall. I turned on the light, aimed at the blackest shape I have ever seen, and when the light turned on, I saw the shape of a man wearing a flannel shirt, beard, and an expression like he was about to attack me. Then it was just gone. My crewmate was behind where the entity was, sitting on the floor rocking with his hands on his head. When I approached, he picked up his flashlight off the ground and turned it on, and then ran up the stairs and outside and threw up. I followed behind him, asking if he was okay and why he was screaming. I thought I just had imagined the entity and the man because his screaming scared me. 
but he then told me he was scrubbing the wall and felt something pulling on his tool belt and thought it was me. But when he turned around, the lights went out and he was engulfed by what he said was a dark smoke and he immediately could not breathe and was struggling to move. He managed to pull his flashlight out, but it was knocked out of his hand like his wrist was grabbed with force as he managed to scream. When he screamed, the trinket started falling off of an entertainment center that was about three feet to his side and the black smoke moved back, but he was close to passing out from exertion. He also said he lost hearing and didn't know that any noise came out when he started screaming and that the stuff falling off the shelves was landing on him, and that's why he was covering up his head. He said it felt like a weight was lifted off him when the dark smoke backed up, and he felt sick right away, and the light from my flashlight made the sick feeling increase. We took an early lunch where he just sat there, pale as ever, and didn't say much other than he said when he breathed in that smoke, it didn't feel right. I got him some Gatorade, and his color started to come back. I never told him I saw a man when I turned on my flashlight, because we still needed to finish the job, and I didn't want to put that in his head since he never mentioned seeing it. When we went back, the lights in the basement were on again. Half the things that fell from the shelves were back on the entertainment center, and the TV was on baseball, and there was also a different smell in the room, similar to burnt hair. My worker stayed a half hour, got sick again, and went home for the day, leaving me alone to finish, which I didn't want to do, but had to as the other guys had their own job. After cleaning up everything with my vacuum, I began, began scrubbing the old blood, which is hard after it congeals, mix in the brain matter and it's like glue, even with cleaner. While I was finishing up, I kept seeing the shape of a person always in the sight of my vision. Each time I would smell that strange burnt hair scent and a few times, I also felt like a force was pulling at items on my belt. Not sure what item is there were several things in my belt. When I finished the job, I went to use the bathroom upstairs, and in the hallway along the way, I heard, like, a muffled crying or moaning. I froze up and stayed still, thinking maybe a family member had come back when I had panned around, but there was nothing. But I saw a picture on the wall of a man with a beard wearing a flannel, and several other pictures in the hallway of other scenarios of the same man, different flannels with deer or fish or family. I had not seen a picture of that man, as I had not been anywhere else in the house with a bathroom, nor did I use the bathroom downstairs because of the pulling off the hazmat stuff is a pain. As I was securing the house, closing all the windows, locking all the doors, and shutting down every light with the front porch light, I saw the front curtain move again and saw the darker-than-black form in the front window. This is just insane. Okay. And I think he has one more. Okay. And the last experience I will share, it happened mid-July in a very bad area in Detroit. There had been an incident where a guy supposedly tried to abduct a child, was stopped by people in the neighborhood who beat the man very bad, and he escaped to his house where the neighborhood people quickly called police and civilians surrounded the, the, the man's house to prevent escape. The police response time in this area is horrible and people were throwing rocks through the man's window and damaged his car. The man was hurt Matt, bad by the mob and was hurt by a rocker glass and actually ended up dying in the home from what the police officer told me. Um, and the incident that, that like pushed him into the house where the mob surrounded him was a misunderstanding as the man had picked up a girl that was injured riding her bike and some kids that knew her told the parents that the man was kidnapping her and people overreacted and the man was brutally beaten. The cleanup was pretty simple to do. We secured windows, cleaned up blood, and bodily fluid. But as soon as I entered the house, I just felt wave after wave of fear and sadness like I have never felt before. And it hit in waves that made my legs weak. My working buddy who was there showed up late and didn't get the story from the cop like I did, but experienced the same feelings I had. The whole time we were there, we saw this form darting around corners like it was watching us, then hiding. And it was similar to like a small bit of fog or mist. 
We also heard slight cries for help coming from several areas of the house and also what sounded like, please stop, and a long, no. A few times the crowd came back and yelled at the house also. And when this was going on, the activity in the house increased and we could hear running footsteps go up the stairs, a door slam, and it sounded like the front door would open and close, but we never saw any of the doors move. The path of the footsteps sounded like from the front door, then through the living room, to the bathroom, to the stairs, to the upstairs bungalow room. The part that really got me was that I could feel the floor impacts that felt like the vibrations of someone running past me when I was cleaning the areas. And each time I would be hit by one of those waves of fear and sadness. When we left the house, there were a few people on porches hanging out like as usual during the summer. And people were so hostile and yelling random things, but directed at us as we loaded the van and took off our hazmat suits. We ignored this, but before we had loaded all the material from the house into the van and locked the house, the front door slammed hard enough to sound like a gunshot, which scared me and my crew member, along with people on the front porch, to the point where they went inside. The front door deadbolt was somehow locked, and we could not get it open. I think it was a different key than the knob, so we ended up leaving several boards in the house that were left over from boarding a few of the windows. The feeling of relief when I left the house was like night and day. Inside, I was anxious, scared, paranoid, and just really down which could be due to knowing the story. But when I got outside, it was like flipping a light switch. I immediately felt better. And me and the other guys in my crew were joking and laughing about dumb stuff like normal 19 and 20 year olds. I have many of these stories written down in detail in a journal. I started after the first three months of working at this job. I talked to the guys on the cruise and got other strange stories from them too. I know that some of this could be very well formed by my subconscious mind to cope with the traumatic situations but some of it has no explanation. And when I hear other members of my crew tell me their stories when they haven't been influenced by mine, that is a horse of a different color. I just know that when these three guys my age, around 19 and 20 started this job, all were normal and well-adjusted guys with no cares in the world other than girls, parties, and working. I watched each one of them slowly drain their joys and passion for life And I know this sounds bad, but each one that died was considerate enough to die in a clean way, most likely so another person wouldn't have to see the horrible things that we all saw so often. So what did you think? I feel like this poor guy or girl just needs a new boss. I feel like the boss just gets the calls on like which houses that they need to get a crew cleaned up. And he's just so vague about whatever these poor crew members have to go clean up because otherwise I think that they um, might be looking for a different job. And with some of the dreams that this guy had and the thoughts that this person was having, I think that the saying were like, leave your work at at work, uh, he was bringing it home with them. Well, I mean, that's a pretty like traumatic job. Especially since the boss was like, hey, like, the deceased will be gone. Like, you're just doing, you know, cleanup, which you're already doing. Like, he was already doing fire and water cleanup. Yeah. And he was like, surprise. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, the fire and water cleanup, I feel like, is completely different than, like, deceased remains cleanup. Um, Like, you know, the smell of sewage and stuff like that, raw sewage, I think it's just something that you kind of are expecting. Um. But I think that the smell of just deceased body fluids seeping through the floors um, with people decaying down to the point where you don't know if it's a girl or a guy is just, like, beyond creepy. Yeah, I mean, like, 
I don't know, that, and then he was also, like, kind of, like, very visually graphic with a lot of the things that he said, um, but, um, what did you think about in the second one when he said he saw a guy with a flannel and then had never saw a picture of him, like, beforehand, and then when he went upstairs, he saw, like, the guy? Yeah, that's just, again, like, really creepy, I feel like, especially even with the, like, everything's just coming to him in these, like, dreams and imaginations and stuff, and I think it really just shows, like, how in touch we are with whatever other side, um, whatever other side that you believe in, um, but I just think that there's really just, like, the veil between is just dropped. The veil is thin. (laughs) The veil is very Thin. thin. But I was, like, I don't know, in the first one, um, that was, like, yeah, we had these dreams where, like, this guy was just, like, begging us. I was like, that's so sad. Like, he was like, please don't take my things. Like, mm-hmm. he didn't really understand. Yeah, I I can definitely understand that. Like, it's, especially if someone passed and is just watching their house get just torn up. Um, and you, you can't really comprehend. Like, he's like, please, he's like, I can't replace any of it. Like, stop taking my things. And then threw the jug, like, behind a bunch of bags of trash. Yeah, again, like, that's just really creepy, too. I mean, especially, like, even when, like, you clean up your own room or do, like, a closet cleanup and you have bags of stuff, like, especially if you have them, like, stacked up the way that I'm thinking, like, leaning up against each other, there's no way you're going to just accidentally wedge your jug of cleaning supplies between two. That you vividly remember leaving. Yeah. Somewhere else. Right next to the floor. And also the first one, I don't know if anyone watched, like, the first episode or two of like Breaking Bad but all I could think about was like the acid melting the person and it just dripping through the floor um with this guy's fluids body fluids yeah just seeping down well I've never seen Breaking Bad but yeah if if you've watched Breaking Bad you know exactly what I'm talking about yum (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I just I think that this person uh I know that they were looking for a job because they could not find one Um, But I really hope that they did find a new job um, because obviously this person was just getting followed by all the places he went to. Yeah. Yeah, it was a tough one. Very interesting, though. Interesting. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Darker Matter. And thanks, Haley, for being on the show. Yeah, no problem. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, stay tuned for the next one. See ya.